morning I want you to open your Bibles to the New Testament book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. As we continue on in this study that, that uh, God has laid on my heart to share with you. And that is, I've titled the, the, uh, uh, the series, The Church. Just simply The Church. Um, I, my computer up here is talking to me. So give me a second to turn it off. There we go. Uh, <clears throat> this morning, I, I, I want to continue on in the study of the church. We, we've talked about so far how it is that we enter into the church. The, the, the grace that, uh, that God gives us by making us a part of the body. Uh, and every one of us become a part of this body the exact same way. And when I say this body, I'm talking about the church universal. Uh, I guess we could say that would be also true for, for Sterling Acres. But for the church, for the, for the body of Christ, every person comes into the body the exact same way. And that is by grace. God enables us to do something we couldn't possibly do ourselves, no matter how good we got at it, no matter how we got to be really, really good at doing church, we couldn't be a part of this family unless God gave it to us. And he did. He gave it to us. But then that means that now we have some responsibilities. Uh, it's a it's a. A blessing to be a part of the body, but there also is the responsibility that you and I have to the body. And I'm sharing this series of messages as, as we as a church are preparing ourselves to go through some changes. There are going to be some changes. There are going to be changes for me. There are going to be changes for you. And we may not be doing things the exact same way that we've always done them. Don't be afraid of that. Understand, embrace that because that's the direction that we believe God's taking us. And if that's the case, then hold on because this is going to be a wild ride. This is going to be a great journey that we're going to have together. Now, let me tell you today uh, about uh, from Ephesians chapter 4 about, uh, about the one thing that can side rail this. All right, yeah, side rail, that's, that means, Jerry, you're, you're the train guy. That means pulling off to the, to, the, to the side, right? This can do more than just side rail. This can derail. Okay, there's a, that's a little bit stronger. Am I right? It's, it's worse when a train falls over than when it just gets on the sidetrack. So this has the potential to, to derail what it is that God is wanting to take us through. And here's the title that I want to share with you uh, because this, the, the title is The Necessity of Unity. It's imperative that the body of Christ always be in unity. Here's the problem. Of course, in my lifetime, I have rarely seen the entire body of Christ in unity. When you drove here this morning, were you like me? You drove by a half a dozen or more churches of a different variety, a different flavor. I'm not saying that God's not in that. I'm just saying a lot of that's because we have this denomination and that denomination because we've fallen out of unity. And I think that now we are discovering and we're blaming this on COVID, but we are discovering that that now the world is becoming disenchanted and, and, and uh, just kind of disgusted with the church because of how we carry on. Okay, I, I, I went, I, I shared this with many of you, went to California in June to a Southern Baptist convention because the issue was the uh, sexual abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention in churches and as well in the in the organization. It almost was embarrassing to tell people in Los Angeles why we were there. 
You see, I think that we have done things to to uh, demote the importance in the name of Jesus Christ in our culture. And the one thing that Jesus said is going to prove to this world around us that our message is true, that Jesus is who he says he is. And that is if we are one. John said, Jesus said in the, the gospel of John, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples when you have love for one another. A unity uh, that involves loving each other. So that's what we're going to look at and break down a little bit uh, this morning. Um, so I want you to open with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, open with me, if you will, to uh, verse 1. Verse 1 of, of chapter 4. I therefore, Paul writes, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with, uh, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body. And one spirit, just as you were all called, I added the word all there, but just as you were all called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now, let me just interrupt uh, just long enough to say we've talked about how we come into the to the church into the, into the body of Christ by God's grace. God gives us that and he gives, it, he gives us the grace to enter into the body through our faith in Jesus Christ alone. Every one of us have, have the same beginning place. Now, for you, your beginning place may have been when you were 10 years old. Mine may have been for me when I was 18 years old. Somebody may have had one here, maybe somebody here who entered into the body at 65 years old. But we all entered in the same way. And he says, once you came into that body, uh, that now you, it's a, it's a wonder and a mystery how it is that God would choose to bring us into this family. God could have made us as a family capable of doing everything to the same degree that Jesus did individually, right? He has that power. If you believe that God is sovereign and omniscient and all-knowing and all-powerful, he could have made us just at the moment we're saved, could have made us exactly like Jesus, same power, same authority, all that. But he didn't. Instead, he put us into a body and says, right now, you as a body, are just like Jesus. The problem is we sometimes want what we want. And, and we sometimes would rather do it our way. Hence all the different flavors of Christianity around us. I think God still uses that. Uh, but I'm just saying that, that we have, we seek our own way and Paul's imploring here in these first uh, six verses that we've read are that we walk worthy of the grace that God bestowed on us. And to do this understanding, there's a whole bunch of y'all, but you're one. And everything about God is one. Remember when Jesus, in John chapter 17, the night before he would go to the cross, as he was praying in that garden of Gethsemane, and John records for us that that's what's called the high priestly prayer. And you know what he prayed? I'm going to boil it down. I know you're not supposed to do that, Jesus. I'm going to boil. He said, "Father, I pray that they would be one, just like you are. You and I are one. That they be one with each other the same way." 
Because that's the way the world's going to know the message of Jesus is true. So, he says, walk worthy of that. There's one God, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's the same God that made everything, holds everything together, and it's all in all. He's in control. Stop being, or stop acting like you're in control. What? I don't know about you, I just need to hear that today. Sometimes I really listen to um, people, sometimes we'll call here to the church, and we'll ask if the, if the owner's there. <laughs> and, and we, if I mention, if I don't say, yeah, he's always here. But they think that they're, that sometimes I get the idea that I'm the owner. Do you? Well, you're in church. You got to be honest. Sometimes in my life, forget the church, that's a little bit too, a little bit too sacred. What about in your life? Do you think you're in charge of your life? We're not. We need to recognize that God is in control of it all and live like it. Now, let's read on. Verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now that sounds like it's a change in thought, doesn't it? The grace that God has bestowed upon us, has given to us, um, was given to us uh, as a gift, but he also was given to us as a giftedness. Okay? It, it, let me, it, this will come clear when I read the next couple of verses. Therefore it says, and he's going to quote to us a, a, a verse out of the Psalms. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led host, led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Parenthesis, verse 9. Paul is going to explain that. Who is it that ascended? Jesus. Jesus ascended. All right, now, we usually don't preach about that. Unless you're a liturgical church, they'll have Ascension Sunday. But this is recorded in the, in the Bible in Acts chapter 1 as well as other places. But in, the, in that place, we see Jesus give the, give the instructions to his disciples... And he says, y'all go back into to Jerusalem and you wait there until the Holy Spirit comes. Um, and, and then when he comes, you'll have power and you'll become witnesses to me and all the world. Jews. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost places of the world. And then it says that he ascended to heaven. Now, here's what, it's, what he goes on and he says. He says, when he ascended on high, he led a host uh, of captives and he gave gifts to men. There's a whole lot of theology in here that we just really don't have a whole lot of time to, to cherry. I'm just going to tell you what I think it means. I think when he ascended to heaven, it wasn't just Jesus that ascended, but all of the people who have been held captive to death. Jesus had to be the first fruits to enter into heaven. He had to be the first resurrection from the dead. And he led a whole host of captives, but to men, it says, he gave gifts. And what's this men stuff he's talking about? Well, he's talking about to the people who were still on the ground when he went up. And their prodigy, their legacy. Eventually, that comes to me. You. He, he took the hosts of captives and set them free, but he gave gifts to the men who remain. And, and when we say men, we mean mankind. Parenthesis. In saying he ascended, what does that mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, comma, the earth. 
Jesus didn't just show up and go up to heaven, establish a religion, Christianity, and then um, uh, say, now y'all take over. Instead, his coming was for a purpose. He descended from heaven. He came from heaven, and he descended so that he could, he, he could provide grace to us through what he did on the cross. Then he went back to heaven, but he didn't leave us here alone. He gave us the gift of his Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gave us gifts of service and ministry. Bottom line it. You have a spiritual gift and a spiritual purpose to use that gift. That's, that's what, he's, what he's saying. He, verse 10, he who descended is the one that also ascended far above all the heavens so that he could fill everything. See, God didn't just send a message about Jesus to the earth. He sent Jesus to the earth. And so that we would realize the power that, G, that God has to grace people, a gift to people, he allowed persons, people, to see with their own eyes the death and the sacrifice of Jesus. Then to see with their own eyes the ascension to heaven. So that when he says, all right, now you have a gift, he's not speaking in metaphor. He's, he's not telling you a story. He's not just giving you some Sunday school counsel. He's telling you, listen, just as surely as he came and he died, and that's what saved you. And when we talked about that a few moments ago, I heard a lot of you say amen. He didn't just do that. He also went back as part of the plan back to heaven, taking with him all those who had already died to heaven with him and then he gifted through the grace of God men on this earth to carry on are you following that that's I, I almost I, I almost left those three verses out just because there was so much theology I knew I, knew I couldn't do much uh, good with it but I hope you get the, the picture of why Paul is taking his time to say this Here's the point you need to, before we read verse 11, he established his church and he gifted his church and enabled his church to do the task that we have. The one thing that can mess it up is if we get out of unity with each other. So understanding that, that he's established this church, look at what it says some of the gifts are that he gave to the church. Verse 11. He gave the apostles. The apostles, that's a word that means those that are sent out with a message. And in biblical times, in the Bible, the apostles were those who knew Jesus, had, saw, had seen Jesus personally, had heard a message from him personally, and he, Jesus, personally had sent them out into the world. He gave them, he gave those, that was important in the, in, in the early church because they didn't have this. They didn't have the Bible. And so they had to have people who, who, could, who could quote Jesus from what they heard and what they had seen. And he gave that to the church so that in these early embryonic stages of the church that were looked at as at the time when Paul is writing this to the church at Ephesian, uh, at Ephesus, that they would, they would understand it's just, it, it's, it's a, it has the same dynamic as when you and I read the Gospels. And when we read the red ink in our Bibles, if you've got a red print edition, and you realize Jesus said this. And the reason why we know this is because the apostles recorded it. They spoke it. That's a gift to the church. We're hearing the word of God directly from the people that have seen it and heard it and experienced it. He gave the prophets, those who would speak for God, who would deliver a message on God's behalf 
that was true and accurate. They weren't weathermen. It's going to rain next Tuesday. Not that kind of prophet, but a prophet who says, thus saith the Lord. The evangelists, the evangelion, those who speak the gospel to the world around them. To the, uh, he gave also shepherds and teachers. Some versions, instead of using shepherds, uses pastors and teachers. And that's the ones in the local body who teach faithfully the word of God and break it down into bite-sized chunks so you can devour it. I heard it. I read a book one time that asked the question, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And that's what the pastor teacher does is he breaks down this. I'm in my 40th plus year doing this. And there are still things in here that I hadn't known before. That ever happened to you? I, I sometimes go back and check my reprint date. Uh, I've never seen that before. When was this Bible printed? You know, sometimes we have to have it broken down for us, don't we? And that's, that's what the, the gospel, or that's what God gave to the church. Those are some of the gifts. Now, why did he give them? Verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. If you're somebody who writes in your Bible, that'd be a good line to underline. Because if you want to understand what your role is in this church or in any other church, is to do ministry. To do the work of the ministry. Not to hire people to do the work of the ministry. So, he gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, Pastors, teachers, in order to prepare us and to equip us to do ministry. Not to tickle our ears, not to make us feel good, not to make us say, wow, Brian, that was sure a great song. But to equip us to do ministry's work. Also, for the building up of the body of Christ. When I, when I read that phrase, I think, I think of a bodybuilder. And um, uh, if you've ever been around somebody who's a bodybuilder, you know those people that have zero body fat, and they got a lot of body, you know, and it's just, it's a, they're one, sometimes one big muscle. That's what I think of. You know how you, how you get built like that? Obviously, I don't. But I think it's by working out. And when you finish that workout, work out again and work out again, and you keep at it, and you keep on, you keep on disciplining yourself and your time and your your strength and all these things until you are built up, till the muscles begin to become strong and toned. That's what he gave these gifts to, uh, to the church for, to equip saints. To build up the body of Christ, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Till we all attain the same faith. You ever notice in your Sunday school class or maybe in your family, some have a strong faith and some have a struggling faith? That could be because some are, are still new believers. It's, it's fun for me to watch a 15-month-old baby that's just learning to walk. You know, I, uh, I, I see them stumble and struggle and fall and, and laugh and all of these things. And I look at somebody like I imagine myself being, you know, 29 again, and who has a real strong gait to my walk. You know, and and I, I compare those, and it's kind of cute to see the one who stumbles and falls all the time until, ain't life funny? Now I'm at the end where I'm stumbling and falling again. You know. But he, he talks about uh, in our walk, um, attaining 
to, uh, to a place where, we're all, where all of us are walking steady and sure, not being driven around by everything that comes down the pike. Then he goes on and he says, till we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know what? As I read those verses, sometimes I think I've arrived. And then sometimes I read those verses and I'm thinking, I, God's still got a lot of work to do in me. How about you? And it's, it, 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 it's not that he's concerned or that he, it's not that, that it's because he, uh, he doesn't want us to be struggling through life. That's how we grow in our faith. But instead, it's where he wants us to end up. Sometimes we get stuck along the Christian life. You ever notice that? That I, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with the same stuff in my life that I did 30 years ago. And it's not just because God doesn't like the stuff that I'm doing. But he says, you could be having victory over all these things and you're stopping yourself short. So keep on growing. That's why God gave us some of these, these positions into our church so that we could continue to grow until we grow up. Till the full measure of Christ. I may, I may be further along the road than you are. You may be further along the road than I am. But I know neither one of us have fully attained Christ's likeness yet. You know, I know that. Because the Bible says when he calls me home, he's going to change me into the image of his son. As long as I'm drawing breath on this planet, and you are, I've still got some growth ahead of me. So, uh, and I, if I can get out of this sermon just long enough to throw in one sentence. So as I retire, I don't retire from the Christian life. I don't retire from ministry. I realize there's something else ahead out there for me. I don't know what it is, but I know I want to keep on walking, keep on striving for that maturity. And the reason for that, verse 14 says is so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Listen, turn on your TV to Christian programming sometime and realize some of these things that are being programmed as and being advertised as Christian teaching is teaching anything but what the Bible teaches. And here's the problem with that. People swallow it whole. And they go hog wild over all these things. Because we're children. If you think about that. What do you teach your kids? Stranger danger, right? You know why we have to teach them, teach them that? Because there are people out there who go, hey, kid, come here. You want some candy? I got some candy for you. You want a dollar? Come on, I got more over here in my van. And it happens to us all the time because we're children. You better, when you're out in public with your kids and your grandkids, keep your eye on them because there are people out there doing that. But the same thing is true in churches, folks. Same thing is, is, true in this is true in this world. There are those that are out there that are after us because they know we're acting like children. And so by human design, they, they, get, uh, they practice schemes to steal us away from God. Verse 15 says, rather, rather speaking the truth in love, <clears throat> We are to grow up in every way into him who's the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself 
up in love. Now, that's the text. Can I give you the sermon now? <clears throat> what I think this is trying to tell us is it is absolutely essential in the body of Christ, not just so that we could come to church and all get along, but it is necessary for the church to survive in this world to have unity. If we are not one church serving one God with one, hey, listen, we are, and here's the problem. There's a whole bunch of us, right? And when God saved me, he didn't make me just like Bill. Now, I'm saved, I'm saved by grace just like Bill. But Bill likes different foods. I've been, in, I've been to lunch with Bill. He likes different foods sometimes than I do. That's really true of Ken. I had, we have different TV shows that we might like. We have different sports teams that we might follow. You're going to leave here in a little bit, <clears throat> go out in the parking lot, and you're going to walk to your car. And you're going to know it's your car because it's different from all the other cars out there. And that's because we all have our favorites or the ones that we can't get rid of, whatever it is. But we're, we're still, we're diverse. We're different from each other. But as the body of Christ, we have to be in one. In order for that to happen, God's got to do a miracle. Because I don't know about you, although I really think I do. I'm one of those guys who thinks he's always right. I come by that honestly. I get that from watching you all. <laughs> You're all. My saying is, uh, I think uh, I think everybody in the world is crazy, but me and you, and I'm not sure about you. <clears throat> we, do you? What I'm saying is, we're different. And God could have changed us to where we were all just cookie cutters. But he didn't. He liked variety. Variety, what's that saying? Is the spice of life. I think he likes the fact, if, if everybody in this church were exactly like me, I wouldn't want to come here. I mean, I can get that at home. Are you following? But it's because we're all, it's because... Some like this song and some didn't. Some like the temperature cold in here and some like the temperature warmer in here. I'm just saying we're all different and that's good and God wants that. But he says, but you all have to be in the unity of the faith. Let me talk to you about this necessity of unity. I, I was just kidding. That, a lot of, there was a lot of sermon that was in what I did before. So don't worry. Don't worry, Bill. You're going to get to go to lunch. Maybe a late lunch, but... <laughs> just, to re just to rehash kind of what we've talked about. The first, the first point that I have, and I have four points for you today. The first point is that we've already talked about is the significance for unity is described. The significance, why is this important? Do you understand that this is why Jesus came to earth? He didn't come to earth to give you something to do on Sunday mornings. He came to earth to establish his church. And this is the prime means by which persons are going to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not doing as some churches do, say you've got to come to our church in order to get saved. But God's design is that the church go out into the world and share Jesus Christ with the world. Now, we've convoluted all that in Christian churches today, and we have put a sign out front and said, here's when we meet, y'all come. Jesus said, Gather together, be equipped, and, 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 and have a, a unified mindset and go out into the world and make disciples. 
That's why Jesus came to the earth. To show you God could have done it any way he wanted. Am I, is that, can, you, can I get an agreement on that? God could have done this any way that he wanted. He didn't have to send Jesus down. He could have just said, okay, you just got to believe in Jesus. Instead, what he did is he sent Jesus down because he had to leave heaven to descend to earth because that's where the lost people were. And Jesus died and then he went back and he says, all right, now you all carry it on. That's what this whole, the first 10 verses of this were, were about, was about, whatever, um, was that, that we have to understand unity. If, if Jesus and God were not on the same page on that, 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 that plan's not going to work. Jesus and God, before anything was even made, decided this is the plan. This is the way we're going to do this. Jesus is going to involve you going to earth. Now, this is not the way the conversation took place. I don't know what how the conversation or if there was one. But Jesus didn't say, why me? I do everything around here. That's the way the church speaks. Jesus says, uh, okay, I'll do that. Now, you understand you're going to take on yourself a, a body. A body, what's that? You'll see in a little bit. We're going to make bodies, and you're going to take on one just like them. And then there's going to be somebody that's going to uh, take some big, long spikes and drive them through your hands, your feet, a spear into your side, put thorn, push thorns out into your... They're going to beat the snot out of you with the whips. Uh, can I rethink that, God? He didn't do that. He said, okay, Father, not my will, but yours be done. I'm kind of getting the storyline out of order, but you understand. They were, they were in one mindset. This is the only plan there is. There's no other plan than this one. <clears throat> it doesn't work unless Jesus and the Father are Absolutely 100% in unity. Do you get that? <clears throat> Guess how we're going to reach this world. How we're going to be the ones that turn this world upside down. I'm going to tell you it involves unity. It doesn't happen if we live. If we spend all of our time on this earth fussing and fighting with each other in the church. The church is never going to make an impact on the world. The world's not going to be impressed with what the church has to offer. If that's the way we're, we're going to be. We have, we have to understand the importance of unity. <clears throat> Again, this is going to become, over the next few months, probably the next few years, maybe the rest of your life, this is going to be the challenge. It's going to be before all of us. We're going to have to decide if we're going to set aside our desire, our will, uh, for what God has for us. And, and that's going to be an, an individual decision. But the church, the survival of the church is at stake with it. The importance of unity is seen in those first ten verses. The second <clears throat> is that the provision for unity has been granted. Verses 11 and 12. God gave some apostles and prophets uh, evangelists and pastors and teachers in order that the church might become one. Most of those gifts that are mentioned in chapter 11 are largely, well, I guess we'd say all those gifts are largely communication gifts. You understand what I mean by that? In other words, it's somebody telling something to somebody else. And I think the design of verse 11 is that the, that the people who know because they've been there, they were experienced, they were trained or equipped or called or whatever, speak it to persons who may not know as much. Uh, this is, even as I'm saying this, I'm thinking this illustration is going sideways. But it's not 
smarter people telling dumber people. That's not what I'm talking about. The people who are, who God says, all right, I want you to get up and I want you to say this and teach this um, to this group of people so they can say, I never saw that before. I'm willing to do that. They were, they were gifts that were given to the church so that the church would all believe the same message. What the evangelists was communicating was the same as what the prophet was communicating was the same as what the pastor shepherds were communicating was the same as what the apostles were communicating. They were all being delivered. They were being sent by God, gifted by God to the church so that the church would get the same message. You know why we have to have the same message? So we can be on the same page. You know why it's important for us to be on the same page? So we can do things in unity. A whole bunch of different people with different personalities and different preferences coming together and saying the exact same thing for the same reason. That, my friends, will impress the world. Because <clears throat> they'll say, how in the world do those people get along? Much less live their lives in such a way that they're willing to die for each other. Church will be impressed by that. That's already been given to us. God gives us the gifts that are necessary for us to do whatever job or whatever direction he takes us. I need to move on. The provision for unity is granted. <clears throat> Verse 13 14 and 15 tell us the next point, and that is the effects of unity are observed. When we are living in unity, look at some of the things that it talks to us uh, uh, about in verse 13. There will be a, we will grow to a unity of our faith. We'll have the same faith. Um, knowledge, the same knowledge of God, mature manhood. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we'll no longer be children tossed to and fro by every doctrine that comes down the pipe. When unity in the body that comes the way that God gifts us with it, the result is, or what we begin to see, is we see the body of Christ, the message of the body of Christ, the message of the church become very, very simple. You remember a few years back, some of you, I don't have mine with me here today, but some of you may have an iPhone. Prior, a, 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 a precursor to that, if you will, was the iPad. You remember, I mean, the iPod. Any of you have or have an iPod? You know what the whole design of that was? One button. You can do everything on this with one button there in the center. You punch this part of the button, this happens, you do that. Simplifies everything. That's the whole purpose of the iPad was to simplify your search for music or whatever, whatever it is. Wouldn't it be great if the church were developed, we could develop a one button church? It would Simple, but you know, turn on, turn on the television, go to the bookstore and see how many different messages and different buttons there are to push from the church today because we're not in unity. When, unit, when everything becomes simplified and we have the same message and you're saying this with your life and you're saying the same thing with your life and you're... And we're all saying the same thing. There's not a, there's not a, a, a distinction between us. Uh, we have different personalities. Same message. It simplifies things. And it makes it easier to understand. Now when I got my first iPad or iPod. It took me a while to figure it out. But once I did I thought. Man this is easy. Same thing's true in the church. The message of faith Belief in Jesus is really a lot more simple than we've made it. Because we have set, we've brought in all this theology and that theology and that doctrine and all these things. 
that usually are what they call, because I went to seminary, I know how to use words like this, tertiary. They're probably important to somebody somewhere, but who knows who that is. We have a lot of doctrines that are out there like that. Instead of this little doctrine, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's enough to win the world to Christ. If we'd all have that message, we would begin to see it. We'd all grow up. We'd all, uh, we'd all become like him. Let me, let me give you the fourth one. The benefits of unity are realized. Look at verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up into love or in love. And isn't that what Jesus said is going to be the way the world knows us? By our love? What I, what I think he, he's saying there, because Paul, Paul isn't writing this in a vacuum. Paul has written elsewhere Describing the body of Christ, the church, in, in comparison to the human body. You know, the human body has a lot of parts. I think there's 206 bones in the human body. Uh, there are days when I can almost count them from the aches and pains, you know how many there are. There are different, there are different systems to our body. Um, you have the nervous system and you have the circulatory system and I ought to check with Phyllis for all these things uh, before but a lot of different things and, and, they, and the body is one body but it's made up of a whole bunch of different parts and they don't all do the same thing but they are all part of one of the same body for instance and Paul writes he says, can the eye say to the ear, I don't need you because you can't see? Can the big toe say to the kidney, I don't need you because you don't, you don't help keep balance? Yeah. And which is the most important part of your body? And the analogy that, that Paul uses is that all the parts fit together. And one of the things that I'm beginning to learn from spending a lot of time with some of you in hospitals and doctor's offices myself, and this part seems to affect that part, even though they do different things. Uh, this hip of mine, it's, it's getting some arthritis in it. And you know what it does? It begins to affect my heart because I don't feel like exercising or walking as much. When one part doesn't work, it affects the whole body. When the whole body works together with the liver doing its job and the brain doing its job and the right knee doing its job and all these things all fit together with every joint that is a part of the body, when they are functioning together, you begin to see what the body of Christ was to be about. But if one of them acts up, one of them hurts, if, if, if one isn't functioning right, the whole body gets disjointed, gets out of kilter, and the, world's, the world doesn't hear the message that it desperately needs to hear. The benefits of unity are realized when it's functioning right and the world is, is hearing it and coming to faith in Christ. That's the message of the importance of unity. We're gonna be challenged over the next few weeks and months to do things that involve that nasty word change. And we have to be one as we do this. I mean, some are going to understand and some are, are going to not understand. 
Some are going to want this and some are going to want that. I understand all that. That's why I started this thing off with having the attitude of saying, not my will, but thy will be done. We're going to have to make a choice to be in unity. And unless we do, everything can just be brought down to ashes. But if we make the choice to be in unity, doing what God directs, especially using these gifts that he gives to us to, to express these things, if, if we can do these things, people can be looking at, at you and at me and this church, this group of folks right here and saying, that's the way church is supposed to be done. There's love there. So that's why I preach this message to you today. So you will know and understand you're a part of this. You're a part of the unity. And, uh, and, and unless we come together as one in unity, we'll not be able to survive this. But God is able to do things exceedingly abundantly that, that we could ever ask for things. I'm excited about it. I really am. I'm excited with where God's going to take us. Some of that is because you don't know, right? It's an adventure. It's a journey. But God's got this. I want you to bow your heads with me, if you will, please. Today, Father, as we have, have allowed your word to examine our hearts and to challenge us on the importance of setting ourselves aside and our desires aside and our wishes aside so that we can take on what your plans and your purposes are. Father, sometimes we're overwhelmed that you would even care, but we're grateful that you do care, that you care so much for us. You sent Jesus, your son, from heaven to earth to die for us to establish this body now father help us to be willing to do what it is that you have for us for us so that we might fulfill what it means to be your people so today father as we have this time of, of, uh, of introspection time of, of just commitment Responding to what it is God may have spoken to you. Father, I pray that each one of us today might be willing to say, God, this is what I want, but not what I want, what you want me to. Give me that attitude. Help me to live as somebody in unity with everyone around me as we together seek to obey your direction and for our lives. So Lord, as we are still before you today, speak to our hearts and may we commit our ways to you.